0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: We all live with the danger of being sucked back into the system of the world, and the only way to resist that is to pursue the things of the Spirit. So we've got to be actively pursuing the things of the Spirit. If not, we're gonna be just drifting with the tide back into the things that are going to lead us ultimately out of the favor of God.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, in a message titled, The Path to Spiritual Healing. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: Verses 14 through 17 are our focus this morning, but I want to read just a couple of other verses to catch us up with the context here. So chapter 12, verse 5, we read there, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears so as we're more or less winding down the epistle to the hebrews here it's it's really difficult in in one sense to you know kind of get a feel for for how much we ought to take you know each each time that we come together so Obviously, we could go through much more quickly. Uh, we could also possibly go through much more slowly. But you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of the things that the Lord wants to say to us each Sunday when we gather. So I just decided today that we would look at these um, few verses here, verses 14 through 17. But of course, we have to we have to see them in their context because you know, it's just a continuation of what the author is communicating to those that have been experiencing the chastening of the Lord or this discipline that God has been exercising toward them. So again, let me remind you of the context. It was through neglect of their faith and hardness of heart that these Hebrew believers had become crippled spiritually. This is really kind of the state that they're in. They're kind of in a crippled state. They're not uh, progressing. They're not advancing. They're not maturing. They're, they're kind of just stuck and not, not only stuck and stagnating, but, but to some degree, they're drifting back as well. And so a, as a result of that, they have also come under the chastening of the Lord. And that's the immediate context. And so we read those two verses that connected that there. And so the writer is calling them to respond to the correction the Lord has laid on them so they can be healed. Not only to resume the progress to maturity, the Lord has planned for them, but ultimately to receive the promise of life in the age to come. They seemingly have just you know, taken their eyes off of eternity. They've taken their eyes off of the bigger picture, and they've, they've just become very self-centered and focused on the moment and the discomfort of the moment. And so they're, they're being tempted to seek out their own comfort. They're being tempted to embrace once again the material, the things that they could see rather than looking by faith to the things that they could not see. And so it's just a a one warning after another to not let that happen to them. And so as we pick up, having addressed the issue of chastening there in verse 12, he says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. And now in verse 14 through 17, he is basically giving them steps toward doing that. So what we have here in these verses really is the path to spiritual healing. That's the, the title that I've given to the message today, the path to spiritual healing. They were, like I said, crippled spiritually. So how are they going to be restored? How are they going to come through and come out the other side strengthened? It's through now applying the things that he writes for them in these next few verses. So pursue peace with all and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, For you know that after when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So if they're going to move forward, if they're going to come out of this stagnant state, if they're going to be prevented, this is a preventative measure, if they're going to be prevented from drifting further away, then they're going to have to take heed to the counsel that he's giving here and it begins with the word pursuit. They are to pursue. And this is really kind of the, the gist of their problem. They had stopped pursuing the things that would make for spiritual progress and maturity and, and for their spiritual strength. They had, they had stopped pursuing those things. They had left off of those things. So he's calling them now to go back to a pursuit of these things. And you know, this is a danger that all of us live with. We all live with the danger of losing our passion for the things of the Spirit. We all live with the danger of settling into complacency, of settling into a place of comfort. We all live with the danger of being sucked back into the the system of the world, and the only way to resist that is to pursue the things of the Spirit. So we've got to be actively pursuing the things of the Spirit. If not, we're going to be just drifting with the tide back into the things of the flesh, back into the things of the material world, back into the things that are going to lead us ultimately out of the favor of God. And so that was the issue with them and it's also a a warning for us. So let's, let's look at each one of these things, the pursuit of peace and holiness and these other things that he mentions here. And obviously the things that he mentions here had relation to them particularly. So he's not just throwing out sort of random issues, but there were obviously uh, divisions among them. So he says to pursue peace. There was obviously uh, a lack of holiness. So he says to pursue holiness. There was still the unawareness on their part of their precarious spiritual condition. And so he tells them to watch that uh, no one falls short of the grace of God. There were obviously issues that stemmed from bitterness and were causing trouble and defilement to others. There was evidently sexual immorality. There was fornication, because he mentions it here. And then there was that issue of the profane person, and he uses Esau as the example. So Let's uh, just look at each one of these quickly, and in the end, we're gonna come back around and we're gonna focus on what I think is the most important point that he makes here, and that is the pursuit of holiness. But let's just touch on each one of these real quickly. So, pursue peace with all. You know, anytime you have a situation where people are still going through the motions of religion, but are in their heart disconnected from God, you're going to have strife and division and contention among people. That's just the nature of our hearts. Our hearts are full of that kind of stuff. And so if you have a, a church or a community of people, or if you have you know numbers of individuals in your midst who are causing division and strife, and being contentious, then here's what you can know. You can know that in their hearts, these people are disengaged from God, even though outwardly they might not necessarily appear to be in the sense that they might hold some sort of spiritual position in the church. They might hold some sort of office. They might be looked to as somebody of uh, spiritual importance, maybe because they've been in a certain place for a long time, or they you know, maybe have a reputation from the past of being a, a godly person. But if they're causing division, then whatever their reputation might be, and whatever they, they might have been in the past as far as maybe some kind of a spiritual leader, if that is happening, then that is indicative of a problem in the heart that needs to be dealt with. And so... He starts with the pursuit of peace with all, showing them that they needed to get right with God, and getting right with God would manifest itself by getting right with one another. So in this first verse here that we're looking at, verse 14, he has kind of the two relationships included here. He has the horizontal, which is our relationships with people, and then he has pursue holiness, which is our relationship with God. And... If we're at odds with people, then it shows that we're not right with God. If we're right with God, then we're going to also, at least as much as is possible from our part, we're going to be living at peace with people. Now, we can't force people to be at peace with us. That's why Paul, in writing to the Romans, he says, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all people. So we're to do our part. We can't control what somebody else does, but we're to do our part. And our part is, as he says here, to pursue peace. And then secondly, we are to pursue holiness. Now, like I said, I want to come back to this in a few minutes, and I want to focus on this. But when we're talking about holiness here, it's important to recognize that holiness is not disconnected from God, And that seems like, why why do you even need to say that? Well, because oftentimes, all throughout the history of God's people, there has been a disconnect between holiness and God. Case in point, the Pharisees. The Pharisees seemed to outwardly be the most holy people there were, but they were completely disconnected from God. They were so disconnected from God that when God came and was right there in their presence, They didn't recognize him. Not only did they not recognize him, they actually resisted him. So they appeared to be holy, but yet they were living in total and complete rebellion to God. So holiness is connected to God. And so when the author says that we're to pursue holiness, he's not talking about the pursuit of a particular moral standard or a a particular moral way of living, he's basically talking about the necessity to pursue God, which then will result in a particular moral standard that we live by, because God does have a moral standard by which we live. So we're to pursue peace and holiness. And then he says that we are to look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So here, once again, he's calling us to look out for each other. Remember back in the 10th chapter, he said something similar. He warned against uh, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together like some people do. He said, no, we're not to do that, but we're to gather together. We're to do that as we see the day approaching. And we're to do it with the objective of exhorting one another. And so here, once again, we are to be looking out for each other, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And this idea of falling short of the grace of God, this is the the thing that he's been talking about all the way through the letter, that in the end, they would miss out on the fullness of salvation that God intended for them. That in the end, they would have gone through religious rituals, but never actually connected with God himself. And and once again, this is a bigger problem than we sometimes realize. The church, even today, is full of people that could literally be said to have come short of, of the grace of God because they're religious, they're part of the church, but they don't have the actual relationship with the Lord. This is a huge problem. And it's not uh, limited to, you know, just certain maybe liberal denominations or or churches that are kind of, you know, maybe they're orthodox in their statement of faith, but nevertheless, you know, in their in their practice, they're not really connecting with the Lord. It, it, you have it there, but you, you can even have it in our midst as well. You know, we, we can come to a place where, you know, church is just a, a place that you come to on a certain day of the week, Sunday, primarily, and you're here to do your religious duty, so to speak, and there's certain components of that that you enjoy and you walk away and you feel good, but, you, but you've never really connected with Jesus himself and experienced his forgiveness and that renewal, a rebirth of the spirit. I mean, that, that's all possible. And so we want to be on our guard that that is not the case. And we want to look out for one another, that that doesn't happen. And then from there, he moves on, and he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Now, again, apparently, there was this problem amongst them. There were people that were bitter. They were maybe bitter toward each other. They were probably, ultimately, bitter toward God, because After all, things were not working out the way they had thought. They accepted Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah. They thought that immediately he was going to set up the kingdom. And instead of that happening and them coming into places of authority and rule over the rest of the nation, instead of that, they were being ostracized. They were being persecuted. They were being slighted and slandered. And so, you know, they could have said, well, you know, God, what, what, what's going on here? We didn't sign up for this. This isn't what you promised us. This isn't what we thought that we were uh, getting into when we put our faith and trust in you. And now we're, we're upset. You know, there are more people that are angry with God than you can even imagine. And I would venture to say you could find thousands of people in this county alone who would be in this category of having become bitter because they've been in some way disappointed. They had some sort of an expectation that God didn't come through for them on, and now they're, they're angry with God, they're bitter, and they're troubled, and everywhere they go, that just spills out, and it, it defiles people all around. You know, some of the, the most um, ardent atheists Today, you know what they will often say? They will often say, Well, you know, I used to be a Christian. And they will talk about the disappointment that they had in uh, the Christian faith and how, you know, there couldn't be a God because, you know, things didn't work out. And there are a number of, of atheists who actually have that sort of a claim, that sort of a background. And when you hear them talk about the God that doesn't exist, well, I don't know how you could get so worked up about a God who doesn't exist, but they're able to do it. It's that bitterness, really, that's happening in the hearts. This is actually probably uh, a teaching all of its own that we could do, because it's such a prevalent issue, the issue of bitterness. And bitterness sets in when disappointment is there or when there's been a wrong and there's been an unwillingness to forgive. You know, it can, all different kinds of things can lead to bitterness, but bitterness always leads to troubling the individual and defiling those who come into contact with the individual. I talked to a lady just mentioned to me after the last service, she said, boy, everything you were saying about bitterness. She said, she said, my mother was the most bitter person. And she said, it destroyed her. It destroyed her own life physically and emotionally, and it destroyed, uh, defiled the family around her. and And that story has been told um, a million times over. You know, recently I updated a book that I'd written several years ago on the subject of spiritual warfare. And as I was updating the book, I was, you know, expanding some chapters and adding a few things, and then addressing a couple of things a bit further on in the book. And. I was wanting to do it as quick as I could to just you know get it done, to get it back into print. And I, I kept sensing from the Lord that I needed to include a chapter on bitterness and unforgiveness as being one of the ways that, that Satan, one of the main ways that Satan gets a foothold in our lives. And quite frankly, I didn't wanna do it because I, you know, I didn't wanna take the time. And yet in the end, I felt really compelled by the Lord, you know, write this chapter because this is one of Satan's most effective tools in bringing people down, getting them entrenched in unforgiveness and bitterness. Paul tells us that to to not forgive, remember he says, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Paul also says that in regard to forgiveness, he says, we need to forgive lest Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And let me tell you, the longer I go in ministry, the more I've seen this this issue of unforgiveness leading to bitterness, leading to personal trouble and defilement of others, the more I've seen that happen as, as time has gone on. There was a time in my life as a young pastor when... I didn't even get what it was to be bitter toward God. When people would tell me, well, I'm angry with God, I would think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Seriously. But, you know, there came a point through living life and through going through my own struggles and experiences, I, there came a point where I began to realize, oh, okay, I, I can see this now. I see how bitterness can set in. You know, sometimes what happens and I've seen this happen many times, is you see an injustice take place and you expect it to be dealt with. And because it's not dealt with in the way or the time frame that you expect it to be dealt with, you, you get angry and you become disillusioned and then you, you become bitter.
0: And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics.
1: One of my favorite newer authors is Rebecca McLaughlin. She wrote the book, Confronting Christianity, a few years back, which was the book of the year at the time. And she's done a new book called Confronting Jesus. And in it, she is looking at nine encounters that people had with Jesus and answering really important questions that people are asking today. So I can't recommend Rebecca enough. She just does an excellent job. And I know you're going to appreciate this book, Confronting Jesus by Rebecca McLaughlin.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Jesus by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Jesus by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews.